I want to ask you a question. Have you ever prayed and just felt like you don't have the words? Is that anyone's experience? Have you ever prayed and found that you don't have the words? I want to show you a clip that shows that quite well. I'm not sure you've maybe been in a situation quite that awkward. Um, but it's a cliff, isn't it? Um, in the passage we've just read, the disciples see Jesus go off to pray. Jesus had an amazing life of prayer. He would disappear off up mountains for walks. He would spend time early in the morning, all night, with his father praying. And the disciples had seen this time and time again. And so Jesus goes out to pray, as is probably his custom, every day, comes back, and the disciples go, Okay, Jesus, teach us to pray. Isn't that a great prayer? Isn't that a great prayer that we can join in with? So why don't we pray together? Father, we pray that you would teach us to pray. Amen. I'm not going to pray as long as he did. Um, When it comes to the subject of prayer, (laughs) I could speak shorter as well probably. When it comes to the subject of prayer, all of us are learners. All of us have that L plate on our backs. If I were writing a report on my prayer life, I would almost certainly write, could do better, try harder. Anyone relate to that in their school reports? No, of course not. Um, Just me. Brilliant. Perhaps we've given up on the idea of prayer, of praying. Maybe we just think we can never be good enough. We've never got the words to say. Or we're just not religious enough or holy enough or special enough or whatever it might be. Maybe for some of us, we used to pray, but we don't anymore because we're disillusioned with prayer. You know, we've prayed and prayed for something to happen, for someone to be healed, for a person to come to faith or for a situation to be resolved and it's not happened in the way we wanted it to or thought it should. And we're disappointed with God, we're disappointed with prayer. Maybe we're some, at the moment in a crisis and words cannot express how desperate we are for something to happen, for something to change, but we don't know how to say it or do it. Maybe we're new to faith or exploring faith and we're, we're trying to understand more about this thing called prayer. Is it just as simple as talking to God or is there more to it? Because people who are religious or people who lead churches, they seem to be able to pray really well. Whereas if we're honest, a lot of us have more in common with that prayer than we'd care to um, admit, don't we? And tonight what I want us to do is to look at Jesus, the best teacher. The one whom we as his disciples, his followers, are to imitate. And I want us all to get something from this that will help us to pray. That's my simple aim for tonight. I want us to look at what Jesus says on prayer and see if we can take something that will help us to pray. Because prayer is our lifeblood. Every human being prays. We all pray. We might not want to. At times, you put someone in a crisis, the chances are they'll turn to prayer. They might not know who they're praying to. It may just be a cry for help. But there's something within us that cries out and prays. Do you know there are very few instances in all of the Gospels where Jesus talks about prayer? Or certainly very few instances where he tells people what to pray or what to say. So when he does, it's worth taking notice. And in this passage here, Jesus kind of not only teaches us what we should say, but he he teaches us something far more important than what we say is that who we're praying to. And he gives us two images for God in this passage. The first image is God as our friend, and the second is as God as our father, as a father. So we'll come back to those in a minute, but just want you to hold those two things in mind, that God is our friend, and that God is our father. And then we'll come on to that in a second. But first of all, I want to look, just go through this framework of prayer that Jesus gives us. In verses 2 to 4, if you've got your Bibles there in Luke chapter 11, 
Jesus said this, this is how you should pray. So in response to the question, Jesus teaches how to pray, Jesus answers, not with a question, but tells them what to do. That's quite a rarity in the Gospels. He said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be honoured. Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come soon. Give us our food day by day. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation or help us to pass the test. It's a great structure there. It's a simple framework. Um, It's a shorter version of the one found in Matthew's Gospel. And to be honest, I use the Lord's Prayer a lot in my prayer life. I find it really helpful. And I tend to use the longer version from Matthew, but we don't need to worry about the kind of differences in that tonight. It's a prayer that can be used on our own. I use it all the time, most days. I often just start by reading the whole thing through for two reasons. One, it wakes me up. Two, it gets me in the focus of what I'm doing after drinking a nice cup of tea. I'm praying. I want to turn my mind and my attention to God. And sometimes as I'm praying the Lord's Prayer through, a particular line will jump out at me. And maybe that's where I'm going to focus on. Maybe all my heart is actually, I've got a need today. I need provision, God. So I'm more likely to be praying... Lord, would you give me, Father, give me today my daily bread, all that I need. Or maybe there's a person I'm praying for that's really on my heart, and I'm praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's great to pray it through. It's great to get into that mode of prayer. So it's something we can use on our own. But actually, I think it's written for a corporate use. When we're in groups, when we're together as a family, to pray together. We often say it's part of our communion service. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We come together to worship God, our Father. We come together to pray. But I think it's helpful to see it as scaffolding. It's not the kind of be-all and end-all. If we don't say these words, we haven't really prayed. It's a building block. You know, there's no reference to thanksgiving in this prayer of Jesus. And we know that Jesus gave thanks. You know, so it's not a complete, this, this is all you need. It's a framework on which to build. It's a great starting point, a launch pad. Because what Jesus tells us and what we know from, from the Bible is that, is that God wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want us to become ritualistic. He doesn't want us just to say magic words or what we think are kind of the right things to say. He wants us to grow in a relationship of prayer with him. So this prayer in verses 2 to 4 tells us what the priority of prayer is. And that is God. We need to get God's perspective when we pray. Because often we just find ourselves stuck otherwise, don't we? Even if it's just for a moment... Even if in our hearts and minds we're desperate to get to the prayer, that, prayer, the kind of shopping list of stuff that we've got to pray through, even if it's just for a moment, we need to remind ourselves that we're praying to our Father in heaven. Abba, this intimate term, Dad, Daddy, Papa, whatever you might, phrase you might use. If you've never prayed to your Dad in heaven, I found that a really helpful thing to do. It reminds me, because it, it actually feels a bit uncomfortable the first time you do it. It feels uncomfortable talking to God as Dad. But that's who he is. He's our intimate father who loves us, our dad in heaven. Anyway, so we remind ourselves that we're praying to him, that he loves us, that we are always welcome at his feet. We're always welcome at his feet. We might take time to worship him, to remember who he is. The Bible's got so many different names about God and who he is. We can find them in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, the New Testament. So we start with with God, we seek who he is, and then we're reminded to seek first his kingdom. But we want his priority to be our priority. We put God's things first, even if we're not sure what they are. 
I often pray, God, your kingdom come in this situation. Because if I'm honest, I don't really know what his priority is. But as I pray, as we pray, God helps us in our, our weakness. And we haven't got the words. The Bible says, Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit intercedes with us in our weakness. God helps us to pray. And we pray, your kingdom come. But praying your kingdom come is a dangerous prayer to pray. It is a dangerous prayer to pray. If you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in my school, God is likely to send you to be the answer to your prayers. If you pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in that situation in my workplace, there's every chance that God might say, well, you're there. I want to use you. Imagine you're praying about your future and you say, okay, God, in my future, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. But an exciting prayer to pray. An important prayer to pray. Imagine you're praying for your friends and family to come to know Jesus. You're praying for your community. We pray for our community after the riots. We pray, don't we? Your kingdom come, your will be done. What might God be saying to us in response to that prayer? I find it fascinating in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord to send workers into the harvest field. And I think they pray that prayer. And the very next verse, Jesus calls them to himself and says, well, here's the harvest field, off you go. It's a dangerous prayer to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're invited into an adventure with God. Steve Chalk, who some of you will know, who runs an organisation called Oasis, he talks about praying this prayer as being something like punching holes in the darkness. Isn't that a great image? When we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, in whatever situation, whatever place we are, it's like punching holes in the darkness. It's that God uses us to be light in the darkness, to make a difference where we are, whatever that may be. So we start with the priority of prayer. Then we move to the personal prayer, to bring all our concerns, our cares, our worries, our fears to him. Because they matter to him. In Proverbs 30, it says this, Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. And give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. You know, God cares about all of our needs. He cares about, the message Bible says that, you know, this prayer is, God, give me my three square meals today. Just what I need. Provide for me, Lord. And how many of us come longing, Lord, would you meet the needs we have? I need you. I need financial provision this week. It's a legitimate prayer to pray. Bring it to God. Every need we have, every prayer we have, we pray to him. And then we deal with forgiveness. Isn't that a daily need for so many of us, including myself? Father, forgive me. And then often, actually, those relationships that are broken down, those things that we need to resolve. You know, unforgiveness and bitterness kill prayer dead quicker than most things. And Jesus says, you know, we need to to not only be forgiven, but to forgive others. And it's like a cycle. If we break that cycle at any point, it's very hard to pray, very hard to connect with the Lord. He invites us to forgive, um, forgive others and to be forgiven ourselves. And maybe for some of us tonight, that's where our prayer life is stopped. That's where we've, the wall we've hit. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. Maybe that's something to address with the Lord tonight. 
And finally, Luke talks about, um, Jesus describes not, not being tempted or tested. And the idea here is, is that we won't be under so much pressure that we give up our allegiance to God. That we won't crumble underneath whatever's going on. So there's a, a sense of temptation here that we won't give in to whatever kind of comes our way, wherever it comes from. And if the pressure gets too much, that we won't renounce our faith, give up on God, walk away. Isn't that such an important prayer for us to pray today? God, keep me strong in you. Don't let me walk away. Don't let me be distracted or tempted or to sin. Help me to stay close to you. You know, Jesus faced every temptation we could and yet was without sin. So we're praying to someone who knows what it is to be tempted and tested and prodded and persecuted and ultimately killed for his, for his commitment to God. Bring it to him, every temptation and testing. So we have a structure. Our Father... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We have this structure on which to build from. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, well, if you use these words, it'll all be fine. He teaches um, a little bit more about persistence and boldness in prayer. There's a parable in verse 5. Let me just read that to you. Jesus says this, Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You'd say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And he would call out from the bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and we are all in bed. I can't help you this time. But I tell you this, though he won't do it as a friend, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you what you want so his reputation won't be damaged. There are issues, interesting this parable, isn't it? How many of you are, kind of feel good at nagging? Come on, let's, let's do a straw poll. Hands up, you think you're good at nagging until you get what you want. Okay. I'm just looking at the front row. That was really unfair of me, wasn't it? I shouldn't just be looking down here. You know, here we are actively encouraged to nag. Isn't that a good thing? See, I, I'm not sure I'm kind of wholly pleased about that. I'm often nagged to do things that I haven't done wrong, that I haven't done, which, you know... <laughs> What I was going to say before you all laughed is that I probably deserve it. I said probably. Um, I'm not popular now. That's really going to have to win this one back. Father, forgive me. It's in the prayer. And help Nell to forgive me as well. Okay, so <laughs> there are issues around. You know, we're, this, this friend here, let me tell you a little bit of his uh, background to this. There are issues around hospitality. It's a serious deal in, in Jesus' day. If you couldn't give someone who came to your house somewhere to sleep, something to eat, it was seen as a really bad thing. A really serious, so, kind of social no-no. You know, you had to be able to provide for guests. Hospitality was a big deal in that culture and still is in many cultures today. However inconvenient that hospitality is, giving hospitality is. So the host sprints around to his friend for help, and his friend is settled in for the night. And the, the kind of setup of the house would have been that his friends um, and probably his wife would have been in bed, and the kids would have been asleep on this one level here, all together, with the animals on the next level down. So to hammer on his door, you don't just wake up him, you wake up his kids, his wife, his animals. It's just bedlam. You know, this is kind of, this is like ultra-nagging, annoying to the nth degree. It's not good. But because he's been nagged, because the friend is not going to give up, I'm not going to stop hammering on your door until you give me three loaves of bread. That's nothing. Three loaves of bread, that's a snack for one person who's come to visit. I'm not going to stop hammering on your door until you get up and give me what I need. Until you disturb your whole family. That's kind of a funny parable to tell, isn't it, really? 
And Jesus is telling this parable because he wants us to understand that God is our friend. But he's a much better friend than this friend. This friend's, you know, rightfully annoyed and frustrated and has to get up and do something. And we've had to hammer on the door to get our friend up. And Jesus is trying to tell us, you know when you pray, when you hammer on the door, when you're saying, God help me, God intervene in this situation, God come through for, for this person, for, for, that, for that instance. God is our friend and he loves it when we hammer on his door. God is our friend and he loves it when we hammer on his door. Um, one translation could be about this friend, the friend hammering on the door has shameless audacity. He is not going to stop asking for what he wants. He is shameless. He doesn't care that he's woken up his friend. God wants us to be kind of really tenacious in prayer. To be shameless. To really ask for what we want. Boldness. Persistence in prayer. Jesus says that's great. And then he goes on in verses 9 to 10. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you find. Knock and the door will be opened. If anyone asks be given. Anyone seeks, they'll find. Anyone knocks, the door will be open. Jesus tells the same thing six times. And what he's saying is, if you ask, God will say yes. He'll give to you. He gives. He loves it when we ask. In the book of James, James is talking about kind of a fault line in the community where there's fighting and rowing and bickering. And, and in the midst of this, he says, you know, the problem you've got is you don't receive from God because you don't ask him. You don't ask in prayer for things. And maybe for some of us, we've given up asking because we've been disappointed. I think Jesus tonight would say, don't give up. God is your friend. If you hammer on his door, he will always open. And it's not a simplistic thing to say, whatever we want, we get. It's not how it works. We know that from so many other, not only passages in scripture, but from our own experience. But if we hammer on the door, God hears us and he answers. It might not be the way we want. But we want to get God's perspective, don't we? Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not about me, it's about him. But we hammer on his door. We're persistent, we're bold. We're, we're not going to give up. We're not going to give up. Jesus connects this regular and persistent prayer with answers. And I think here again, Jesus is inviting us into this adventure. You know, we might think, well, I've asked for lots of things for me, or I've asked for lots of things that I need, and I've not seen them. Maybe Jesus is saying to us, if you asked for those out there, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Jesus said, I've come, in Luke's gospel, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save those who are lost. If we ask for those out there, if we ask for the community, do we hammer as hard on the door for them as we do for ourselves? Isn't that such a challenge? Isn't that such a challenge when life just hits us at 100 miles an hour? Isn't it a challenge at those times to still pray, your kingdom come, your will be done? It is for me. Imagine if we prayed daily for our work colleagues and our situation at work. Imagine if we hammered on the door that our office would be a wonderful place, that people would come to faith in Jesus, that lives would be changed through what we do. Wouldn't that be amazing? Imagine if we prayed daily for our financial struggles. Imagine if we prayed daily, God... Use me. Use me for your kingdom. Use me to make a difference where I am. Imagine if we prayed more for God's spirit to fill us daily. We hammered on the door. God, I want to know you better. I think that might be the kind of prayer God would answer. And so then Jesus comes into the last parable. 
verses 11 to 13. He says this, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. You, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If we haven't already got the message, as Jesus so often does, he rams it home one more time. And here he's saying, God is your father. And he says, you know, for you, you fathers, you dads, you know that you weren't gonna, you're not going to give something evil and wicked and horrible and dangerous to your children when they've asked you for something as simple and as nourishing as food. You just don't do it. I mean, what a ridiculous suggestion. No one would even consider that, would they? But how much more good and generous and gracious and wonderful is our father in heaven when we come and hammer on his door? As soon as we sit down and say, Father, Dad, I'm here. God is great, yes. I'm so pleased to see you. As soon as we hammer on his door, God is pleased to see us. Why? Because he's our Abba, our Father, our Dad in heaven. And we're his children. And we're invited to pray, to talk to him. God is a good Father who gives good gifts to his children. And not only that, God gives his Spirit to all who ask. Matthew's Gospel tells the same parable, um, or Matthew records the same parable, gives it a slightly different ending. Here Luke is concerned to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because for Luke, the Spirit is a great gift. It's probably the greatest gift, other than Christ himself on the cross. Christ died, the Spirit came, the church was set on fire. And, And Jesus is saying here, how much more will the Father give the Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will the Father give himself, his presence, his power, his anointing, his encouragement, his strength, his holiness to those who ask. Will we ask? Because he will give. We need more of his spirit. We need more of his spirit. We need more of his presence and power as we pray. So just to come into land, Jesus teaches us how to pray. It gives us so much. I mean, I've just barely been able to scrape the surface of, of the depth of some of the stuff in this passage. He teaches us to pray. He gives us a framework, a foundation. Tells us of the priority of prayer. That God is the one we pray to. We need to get his perspective. We need to come into his presence and know that it's about him before it's about us. But we come knowing that our personal prayers matter to him. Our daily needs matter to him. Our need for forgiveness, to forgive others. Our need for strength and courage to survive the trials that we'll face. We know that he is the greatest friend that we can imagine. When we pray to God, we pray to God who is our friend. When we pray to God, we pray to God who is the greatest father, the generous father who loves to give good gifts and give the spirit to those who ask. And you know... For, um, for so many, we, we have a barrier to overcome, don't we? That barrier of, but God, I've asked and you've not given. And I'm really struggling with that. And I really sense tonight, for many of us, that sense of disappointment. We've prayed and prayed and prayed and fasted and prayed and hammered on the door. And we've not felt we've got anywhere. And can anyone honestly say that's been their, their experience at times? It's certainly been mine. It's certainly been mine. So how do we deal with that when Jesus said, if you ask, it's it's given to you? But you know, I think we just have to surrender to God and say, God, you know, my life is in your hands. And I know that you're a great friend who would do anything for me. I know my life is safe in your hands. 
because you're a great father who gives to me. And even if we don't see the immediate answer to our question, the immediate answer to our prayer, we know that God is with us and that he will give the spirit to those who ask. It might seem a bit simplistic, but I believe the Lord wants to meet with us tonight. And I believe the Lord particularly wants to meet with those who are disillusioned and disappointed. Why don't we stand? We're going to pray.